Welcome to Beyond the Lead, where two young thinkers discuss current events and big ideas. This podcast provides in-depth analysis, along with free-flowing discussions about politics, philosophy, foreign policy, psychology, and many other fields you need to know about. Here's your hosts, Mike and Patrick. Welcome to Beyond the Lead. This is Patrick. So, my co-host wasn't able to record this week due to, due to unforeseen circumstances, um, but I, I wanted to produce some content here. Um, I figured I kind of would have a short, you know, mini episode. Um, I would follow the same format, though. So, you know how we usually cover the news first, and then we get into our own individual segments, and then in the back pages, we recommend something for the week. So, I will still follow this, this pattern here. Um, see, I'm going to cover one news item, one individual segment, and I'm going to make one recommendation. Um, the news item that I am mostly interested in this week, and I am recording October 30th, and the breaking news this t- this morning, Monday, I'm not going to cover. It's possible that me and Mike will cover that next week, um, which is the big indictment charges on Paul Manafort and a couple of other uh, Trump campaign officials. Um, so yes, there will be plenty of time to cover that. So I wanted to cover the pseudo scandal is what I'm calling it about the uranium one transaction that occurred in 2010. So, um, basically the Trump, Trump tweeted about it. A bunch of right wing websites talked about it and, the, the short story there is that House Republicans, uh, Devin Nunez and Trey Gowdy, they have decided to open an investigation of the Uranium One transaction, which is so the big allegation is that Hillary Clinton transferred control of 20% of America's uranium mining output to a Russian company um, in exchange for substantial contribution to the Clinton Foundation. That's the big claim on the right, and it's completely wrong. And so I wanted to get into why it's wrong. So first of all, um, the the process actually to me is fascinating of why this was even an, an issue. Because so there's a there's a there's a process called CFIUS, and CFIUS stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. And it's actually a, a so in 1950 during the Truman administration, Congress passed something called the Defense Production Act. And it was signed by President Truman into law, and that law gave the president the authority to block transactions that he deemed a national security risk to the United States. Um, in the 1950s, you're going to you're going to see a lot of careful consideration careful consideration over any sort of um, um, uh, materials, uh, natural resources that would go into nuclear weapons, for example. Um, and in 1975, Congress wanted to um, um, make this process sort of more robust. So President Ford had Congress create this interagency, which would help guide the president in these sensitive acquisitions. Um, so yeah, so this is when they created the interagency committee called CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. And then it was again amended in 2007 to include more industries more possible concerns after 9-11 so this is might sound semantic but now we're looking to include industries that 
have homeland security implications and also national security implications. Um, so CFIUS, how it works is it includes, it is, under, it is under the discretion of the president and is chaired by the secretary of the treasury. And then it includes the heads of a bunch of um, executive branch departments, including homeland security, commerce, justice department, the state department, the defense department, the energy department, um, the U.S. trade representative is on it, and then also the director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, and then a bunch of other actually councils and agencies also attribute their guidance and their opinion. Um, so yeah, it reviews basically um, any sort of corporate or state acquisitions that might give too much control over over a company by hostile actors or by actors that we just think in times of emergency or in times of possible future conflict, they might have more access to our own resources and our own um, land than we find comfortable. And that's the whole, the whole process of, 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 so Uranium One process, the attempt of a Russian company to purchase um, a, large, a large part of Uranium One had to go through this process. Um, so a Russian government-controlled energy company, Rosatom, um, they act, so they did, get, they did get approved of purchasing a controlling interest in a Toronto-based private company, Uranium One, that owns mines, mills, and land in the United States. So that, that sentence right there sums up, you know, global capitalism. This is what happens whenever you privatize and you open up your countries to foreign direct investment is what is called FDI. And this is par for the course. Um, and um, is, is foreign direct investment good for our country? Well, that can be disputed. But so I got some numbers that actually um, came from the, from the uh, Department of Commerce. And they say that Foreign firms own more than thirty thousand um, businesses in the United States in 2013. This is in, this includes employing employing over six million people, and they pay higher average salaries than their domestic competitors. Um, so that's basically the upside of having foreign direct investment into a country such as the United States. Now, developing countries have more to be concerned about foreign direct investment. I've actually read a lot about that this semester in school because I'm in a graduate-level class about international political economy. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a contested idea. How much do you want to have in your country? But we have a lot of it in our country. Um, and um, basically, the general consensus of why this purchase was allowed in the first place was because uranium is actually not sensitive right now. Um, there's a glut of uranium on the market, apparently. Um, there's enough to fund 100 years of nuclear energy. Like, it's not it's not sensitive in time of crisis or emergency. We have enough to go around. Um, and that is why Rosatom secured approval from CFIUS. Um, and there has been a couple of Actually, mostly all, all, all coverage about this on the center right to me has been not center right, but on the right has been pretty negligent of the truth. So it's kind of is framed as is is the United States transferred uranium supply to Russia, and that Hillary Clinton's State Department had a big part of it. And again, the State Department only has like a a lower level 
person of the State Department, um, basically, is is who um, sits on that committee whenever they're sort of like day to day talking about it. It's quite cred- it's quite possible that Hillary Clinton really had no say, like literally no say in really um, any big role in this review. Um, plus, again. The State Department only is only one of 17 government agencies that are represented on CFIUS. And yeah, allegedly, cabinet officials hardly ever participate in the review process themselves. Um, there's just no evidence to say that Hillary Clinton really had any say about this minor deal. Actually, this is a minor deal. Um, and yeah, I think it's just important to understand that partisan coverage about stuff like this is always missing the point they're always playing what about isms um you know like what about this whenever they're trying to distract from bigger issues um it's also probably possible that most of these people are earnest they really think that it's it's as simple as hillary clinton somehow had enough power to give control over a uranium supply to a russian company there's your russian collusion it fits in with narratives right now. It fits in with the counter narrative, I should say, on the right right now. And it's too juicy and yeah, too emotional emotionally pleasing if you do if you are against Hillary Clinton and you think this whole Russia collusion thing on the left is is, is you know, is um sort of is is nothing. Um so they wanna push they wanna this just this hits all the dopamine buttons that we all love to feel. But I wanted to give a little insight about about this, and I will recommend certain sources in the show notes. So, now's the time where I get center-right pushback from my co-host Mike usually, but he's not here, so I get to completely say whatever I want and without any pushback. No, I'm just kidding, though. I really like pushback. Um, that's why we do the show. So, moving on to our Beyond the Lead segment. And this is where we usually give, you know, give in, um, individual segments or we do joint segments. And it's not, it's not necessarily focused on the weekly news, but more about either an opinion piece we like or like a bigger idea that has broader implications than, you know, today's newspaper. Um, so I actually want to talk about a opinion column by the New York Times columnist Ross Douthit that was published in the Sunday Review. October 28th, and it's called the Misery Filter. And sort of a little serendipitous moment I had. So I read, I actually read the column. I read the Sunday Review every Sunday, or I try to at least. And I like to read Ross Douthit because he is someone that I disagree with a lot. He is a Catholic um, reform icon. That's called like a reform conservative. Um, who, yeah, I wouldn't normally, at least years ago, you know, I would have never read someone like him. And he's a really smart writer. And this, this piece, The Misery Filter, oh yeah, so my point about serendipity is I read the piece, I get an email from one of my closest friends, and he says, hey, you should read this doubt this doubt, doubt it piece this morning, it's really good. And I was like, okay. Like, I actually went back to read it again because I really value my friend's opinion I really value his judgment so I was like you know I thought it was good but I didn't quite it didn't I'm not sure how much it would have stuck with me without reading it again so I'm glad I went back to read it and yeah I want to talk about so it's called the misery filter and it's a nuanced 
subtle argument and I think it, to summarize it I think I'll try to summarize it um, so Douthat is reflecting on a blog post written by a psychiatrist in 2015 and the psychiatrist is talking about how you know he he sees his 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 people that he treats are mostly very well off people that sort of um people on the populist right and the identitarian left would kind of say this person is really privileged right or these people are really privileged but the point was that everyone has problems it's all relative right everyone has problems and the the point was if you if you're not careful it's called the misery filter i believe because he's saying that we tend to only showcase a lot of our positive days on facebook right like how often would you start how often would you post a facebook status that says today was okay you know it was kind of just normal you're usually going to either post when you have really 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 bad days or really really good days and in fact there's been studies about this that you know facebook like what you see on your facebook feed can influence your your moods and your emotions and facebook has even gotten in trouble a little bit for actually engaging in a large-scale um experiment and seeing if you could change people's emotions or moods or change what they post and it works you can and I think on Instagram we tend to sort of post mostly photos of our of our amazing times that we're having, you know. Um but it um my my friend sent it to me because he said it that it reminded him of conversations that we often have and about we don't have we don't have the language sometimes to describe like everyday misery and we tend to think it's our, our everyday problems are either not important, and that makes us feel even worse if we're honest, right? Because we all want to be acknowledged, and it all matter, it matters to us. It matters to us. Um, or we think that no one else possibly feels that way, so it makes our misery seem even worse than it actually is. And what I got from this is that we need to talk more in real life to our friends and family and even to strangers, right? about not just our super ups and our super downs but our middle our middle days you know um, and and we need to struggle and cope and endure regarding our suffering that we all have um but yeah so this is not my recommendation my official formal recommendation of the week but i do want to Recommend The Misery Filter by Ralph, sorry, by Ross Dothit from the New York Times. His name is really hard to, to say for some reason. I think it's because it's Ross and Dothit together is just a tongue twister for me. Um, so yeah, now I'll move on to my recommendation for the week. So I want to recommend a book called Sex Object by Jessica Valenti and it, I actually not sure why it popped in my head this week. I was trying to, trying to think of a recommendation, and you know it might be the fact that there has been a, you know there has been some stories out in the last few weeks about high profile men engaging in 
sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, rape accusations. Um, and yeah, I just thought of Sex Object, which is a memoir by Jessica Valenti. Um, it came out, it came out in 2016. NPR called it one of its best books of the year. Um, uh, she, so Jessica Valenti is a columnist for the Guardian. I was really way more familiar with just her name. And I've heard her talk before on YouTube. And, you know, people that I read and I respect like her. And I was at a bookstore one day and I was just perusing the um, the aisles and I saw the book. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to buy Sex Object today. I wanted to read a memoir. And I think I read it in one day, maybe two days. It's, let's see how many pages it is, Inclu- including the end notes, which is like a little a little interview with her. Um, including end notes. The book is 203 pages long. That's a good two days right there to read. Um, I liked it because she was honest and raw about her experience and she doesn't try to like even really judge a lot of the people in her life um, like necessarily so she kind of just this is what happens this is what happened to me This is this is a memoir about my life and it was like a warm blanket in some sense because you find it's just a very nice feeling when someone's vulnerable you you can feel it if it's real or not i mean of course you can't know for sure right but there's no reason to there's no reason to suspect otherwise that it wasn't an earnestly written book book and yeah just so it's a nice memoir and i feel like we should read people's stories more because that's what divides us sometimes is we put people into boxes and categories and all these isms and um people are people and we need to get along more and we need to read more memoirs about you know white working class men and also you know um rich elite black women you know i'm sure it it, it, like it, it helps it helps to realize that we're all in this together and that when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, we're people trying to live lives, and most of us are trying to, you know, basically do the exact same thing, and get along, and have good relationships, and have a, a, a stable career, and um, we forget that sometimes because it's we get emotional, and yeah, the politics is 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 emotional, and politics is personal, but we turn it's it's dangerous when that we're turning in that we're turning each other into enemies as opposed to um um collaborators and you know people to cooperate with and yeah that's the mini episode for this week um hope you enjoyed it my first time trying to record this this type of show by myself um yep so this was beyond the lead i am uh, a co-host usually Patrick Forn my co-host Mike Skinner is off today um, you can find him on Twitter at Mike S-K-I-N-N-N-E-R and you can find me on Twitter at Patrick F-O and we will see you guys next week thank you <laughs>